invite you to turn in the Word of God this evening to Luke chapter 10, Luke's Gospel chapter 10. And if you have yet to behold the Lamb of God, may, may you do so. May you look to Him and behold Him and see Him who has lived and died and has risen again for the glory of the triune God and the redemption of our souls. We've been going through Luke's gospel, and we have been taking our time. We come to chapter 10 at this stage, and we are in the midst of, well, the Lord has sent out the 70 disciples, and they have gone and enjoyed tremendous blessing and help and power, and they have returned with tremendous joy and the Lord has not admonished them for this joy, but has helped them understand that there's something more steadfast that will sustain their joy no matter what happens. And that is, verse 20, your names are written in heaven. So at that time then, the Lord Jesus prays. We will pick up in a reading at that prayer verse 21, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him on to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Amen. This is the very Word of God. It is our privilege to have had it read before us here tonight. May the Lord write it on our hearts. Let's pray. Let's look to the Lord for His help in His Word. Father, we pray for help. Help to always behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We're thankful that it is the blood of Jesus Christ, Thy Son, that cleanses us from all sin. Grant that all Thy people will know fresh cleansing tonight, and that we would know the liberty from our sin and shame that comes by means of Jesus Christ and His precious blood. And to those that are yet to be saved, Perhaps there are some children that have not closed in to Christ. Or maybe some of our teenagers or some of our young adults or some, some that, that are older, maybe even some seniors that have not ever truly been saved. God, may they have their eyes opened to behold the Lamb. Open all our eyes. Open the eyes of this preacher tonight. I empty myself as much as 
lies within me of all dependence upon self and the flesh. Blessed Spirit, fill me now and come upon this gathering, revealing Christ in power and driving back the powers of darkness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if those who are here tonight that know the Lord, if you've ever wondered why it is that you are saved and others are not. If you've ever pondered, why me? Why me? It is a thought that comes to those that become aware of the fact that salvation is entirely sovereign. I have seen this. I've made mention of it before. I'll not go over it in detail, but I have counseled and pastored and preached to individuals that were taught for years that they had something to contribute in their salvation. And when they first realized, under the preaching of the Word, that that was not the case, one of the first questions that comes then to their minds is, why me? Why me? All the time that they thought that they contributed something, all the time that they imagined that there was something in them that made them distinct from other sinners, that there's something positive in them, that whether it was some self-ability or what our Arminian friends like to discuss in terms of prevenient grace, they understand that in a number of different ways. For example, some believe that God has given a measure of grace to everyone that lives, and therefore they are responding, they, they are able to respond while others do not. And it's, it's that little grace, bit of grace there, but they are working in tandem with that. And they respond while others do not. Others believe that that provenient grace comes as the gospel is shared, when they hear it preached. And through that, again, they are, they are working with God. They are responding by themselves or in and of themselves to that work of the Spirit in their hearts. This is, this is all a, a, an empty effort to try and pull man into an understanding that salvation is synergistic, that we in some way are cooperating with God. But the verses that we have considered already in the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ blow that apart. In verses 21 and 22 in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. That is, his heart is, is exceedingly glad. That's, that's the sense of it. It's not just this inner kind of joy. or It's, it's, it's expressive. It's perhaps even explosive in a certain way. He rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Everything here is pointing to the absolute, the ultimate sovereignty of God in revealing to men the truth. Jesus then goes on to say, All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. So again, there's this indication that, that there, there are parties at work, exclusively at work, in the salvation of men, and they are not working in tandem 
with those that are being saved, those that are having this revelation brought to them. The Lord is in control. This passage then denies any idea of synergism. It affirms the truth revealed by John in his gospel when he speaks of those that believe in Christ, John 1, verse 13, that they are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And he undergirds this. Again, he, he adds to this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That it is the birth, that it is the work of God that enables them, that brings them to belief in Jesus the Christ. Now, this doesn't answer all the questions. There are many things that arise. Well, how then does that work with man's responsibility and his accountability before God? All we can affirm is what the Scripture plainly states. God is sovereign Man is incapable of saving himself, and yet man all the time is still responsible. And so, while on the one hand Christ weeps over Jerusalem for their unbelief, on the other here He is expressing gratitude and thanks to the Father for His sovereignty and salvation, and how He then has imparted to Him the responsibility of revealing truth to men. He does not lament in some thought of this is such a tragic reality that some men will not be saved. That's how we tend to lean. And there's, there's a need to weep over the lost for sure. But Christ doesn't lament here over that point, he rejoices in the Father's sovereignty. It is the sovereignty of the Father that gives him joy. And ultimately, without going into it, this is really just introductory here tonight, but without getting into it, ultimately, the joy in salvation makes sense when you realize that of himself man cannot save, and therefore, the only possible way that man can ever have salvation is if God is sovereign. And he takes in hand all responsibility to save men. And so Paul writes then in Philippians 1 verse 6 that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we rest in that. We rest in that. Those of us who are saved, we rest in that he began the work, not I. It wasn't me. It wasn't me trying to convince God. It wasn't me bringing myself to God. He condescended to me. He opened my blinded eyes. He gave life where there was nothing but death. And He saved me. We ask the question, why does God graciously save some and not others? We might equally ask, why not? In Romans chapter 9, verses 14 and following, Paul discerning this challenge, he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And, and he, is, he is reading the minds of those that are following the logic. As he explicitly states, God is absolutely in control in salvation, 
there is this temptation in man to say, well then, God is the one that's unrighteous. God is the one that is at fault. When men do not believe, charge God with the crime. If Romans 9 was teaching something other than salvation is absolutely of God, then we would never ask the question, we would never challenge with the thought, is there unrighteousness with God? That arises from man trying to charge God with blame in his unbelief. Paul says, God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It is all the Lord. As I say, Christ rejoices in this. He rejoices in it. Oh, his heart breaks for the lost, and yet he rejoices in the sovereignty of God. So, tonight, as we move on to verses 23 and 24 that follow on in what we've considered already, we're considering it under the heading, The Blessed Privilege of Exposure to Christ. The Blessed Privilege of Exposure to Christ. Because in verse 23, he turns him on to his disciples and said privately. So he now is speaking in this more private context to the twelve, to the seventy. Most would affirm that the entire two bodies of disciples, the twelve and the seventy, are here. And he says, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. So as we look at these verses, let us consider, first of all, those that knew to desire Christ. Those that knew to desire Christ. Here, the Lord, in verse 24, as He follows on, speaking of the blessedness of what the disciples enjoy, He says, I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see. They desired to see what the disciples were seeing. Who are these prophets and kings, and what did they desire to see? Does Christ simply speak here of powerful people, or influential people, or people of status? Who is He thinking of? What's, what individuals are on His mind? Turn for a moment to Matthew 13. There are times when you read through the Gospels, you realize that the Lord did not say something on just one occasion. There were other occasions when He spoke similar words, and such is the case here. The context is different. The scene is different, but there are words that are spoken that tie in to what we find in Luke 10. Matthew 13, verse 10. So he's given the parable of the sower, and verse 10 tells us, The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. 
For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. It is clear then that those the Lord has in mind are those righteous individuals of the past, the prophets that labored in the name of the Lord, the kings that were righteous in their deeds, those that followed in the example of David, those are the ones that the Lord has in mind. And what did they see? What did they desire to see? What did they long to participate in? This is what, again, going back to our passage, follow with me. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them. What is it that they desired? What is it that they longed for? In John chapter 8, I mentioned it this morning when we are dealing with Abraham, In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus says there, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. So here's a man who desired something. Now, when I first read that text, I think one of the first times I came across that text or at least it was illuminated to me. Perhaps I had read it before, but it was illuminated to me when I started studying for evangelism. And in part of my study for evangelism, I was was considering especially the the context of my wife who had come out of the Kingdom Hall, the Jehovah's Witness movement, and her mother, of course, was not converted, and we're trying to prepare ourselves should discussion ever arise. So I'm reading. I'm reading about what they believe and all the rest of it. And of course, I come across the fact they believe in soul sleep. And my study about that, and of course there are other texts that deal with it, but one of the texts that I remember being applied to the false doctrine of soul sleep was was this text, that that Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. And the idea is that Abraham in the presence of the Lord was anticipating the day of incarnation, and then as he saw it actually take place, and the angels sent to praise God, Uh, for the the arrival of the Son of God, that he saw that and he rejoiced. And he was able to rejoice because, well, he wasn't asleep in the grave. He was conscious. He was cognizant of what was going on. Well, that's certainly one way of looking at the text, but I don't think that's really what the text is saying. What the Lord Jesus Christ is saying about Abraham is that he rejoiced to see my day. He he, he longed for it. At, At the beginning, when he was first called, and he is made to, to rest in the seed. And he is having his mind further open to understand the gospel. And you follow the life of Abraham. We went a hop, skip, and a jump this morning in the life of Abraham. There's lots more to read. And God is revealing truth to him more and more and more. 
And in that revelation, as he is revealing that truth to him, there's a point where, where he has this great joy in his heart. He is looking to it. He is, his, his faith is grasping upon it. It may even have occurred with the arrival of Isaac. In Genesis 21, verses 5 and following, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. God has made my heart to rejoice. He has, made, he has thrilled me with what has been brought to pass. And maybe that's the point when he, he saw it, when, when the promised seed was born, when he's really latching on to it, when that's when his heart was made glad. Maybe. I, I can't say for sure. But it seems to be something that happened during his life. Turn for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. These old saints, these prophets, these kings and individuals that labored for the Lord, they, they were students, you know. They were real students of the Word. They longed to understand more. And this is why, beloved, this is why taking you deeper is important. It's why it's important for us to understand more of God's Word. And that I am to labor in the Word in such a fashion that you are, your heart is being moved along further each week in the gospel, grasping more truths, rejoicing as some of the deeper truths begin to bed into your soul. We are not to be those simply aware that the Son of God lived, died, and rose again, and if I ask Him into my heart, then I'm saved, and that's all the knowledge I need. We want to have a yearning to know more. And those old saints, they, they had that. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, so here they are, they're inquiring, they're searching. Is that how your Bible study goes? Is that how you read the Word? That's a challenge, isn't it? We, we are to be students of the Word. God has given us far more light, far more revelation, but that doesn't mean to say that we sit back and say, well, it's, the New Testament's clear, I don't need to study anymore. We're to have the same spirit. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. They're, they're longing. The Spirit is revealing truth. The Spirit's in them revealing truth and they're searching what, what manner, what is this? When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So here you have them. They were, they, it was revealed to them. They, they write it, but there's inquiry, the constant study. When is this happening? How is it going to take place? What is this about the sufferings of Messiah and the glory that should follow? Their hearts are, are lifted up with a sense of urgency as to know more. So this is what the Lord Jesus is dealing with when he, he speaks of those that desired to see those things which ye see. That's the point. Jesus is, is, is speaking in 
tying in what, what Peter's revealing and other passages reveal in terms of the longing of the Old Testament saints. Turn for a moment also to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. A number of individuals have been listed already. It's brought us to Abraham and Sarah. In verse 13, we're told, These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So it's not saying that not having received the promises means that they were left outside the the, uh, embrace of God's salvation. They were saved but they hadn't seen the fulfillment of the promises. They saw them afar off and were persuaded, even having saw them afar off, they're persuaded and they embraced them. Then down to verse 39. These all, having obtained the good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect or complete that is, that they, they, they were left not to fully come to an understanding of the things that are now revealed to this present generation. So again, are you seeing the picture? Are you understanding then what the Lord is saying? These prophets and kings desired to see those things which the disciples were seeing. They spent their lives prying into, poring over Scripture, trying to comprehend the prophecies, trying to get their hearts to grapple with the revelation that God had given to them. So they would pour their hearts over it. I mean, you, you remember you know, Daniel and he's reading Jeremiah and all of a sudden he grapples, he, he gets the, the understanding of, of what it is God is doing. And the 70 years, I mean, this is a man again, he's, he is wrestling over Scripture. He is prying in, he's seeking to understand, he is diligent in the revelation given to him. And beloved, this is a practice we must all be engaged in. We must be diligent in the reading of the Word. We must be musing and thinking about the Word and studying the Word and doing more than some surface experience of the Scriptures. Get deeper. Get deeper. Read good books. Read books that open up the Word. Read books that help you to see Christ. Read material that thrills your heart. Get alone with God and and, and consider it carefully. Muse, even the, even the concise uh, version of Matthew's Henry, Matthew Henry's commentary, even the abbreviated, abridged version, even that will thrill your heart. As that Puritan will bring your soul deeper into the, the text and to see even surface truths in a more Christological fashion and apply it with power to your heart. You see, far too often you, 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 you kind of go into your day and... Your experience with the Word is so... It's like skimming stones. You know, skimming stones. And your kid, you try to skim stones across the river or across the lake. And how many times, how many hops you could get with the stones. And, and that's, that's the way we kind of deal with Scripture sometimes. It's, it's, like, it's like, how much can we stay above the surface and not really get deeper? 
really, not really wrestle with what the Word of God is revealing. This is sad. We don't want to be like that. These prophets, these kings, they desired, they longed, they yearned to see the things that were now being unveiled to the disciples. Why? Why had they such an interest? Why? Why would they have this interest? They had this interest because they were saved. They were regenerated by the same Spirit of God that saves your soul. And by the regenerating work of the Spirit of God, they then yearned, yearned. The Spirit moved them, compelled them, carried them into deeper study of the Word. Isn't it a sad fact that amidst all the learning and all the advancements of our modern day, that it appears that men are more scripturally illiterate. I mean, we have all the tools. We, you, some, of, some of us could have the capability to basically listen to the scriptures read most of the hours of the day. You travel to and from work. You, you engage in your work and perhaps in a way that you can listen to things. We have so many time-saving devices. We have tools now that enable us to study continually in a way that was impossible in the past. You think what it was like to be a Christian in a bygone era. You come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day, you receive the Word and you realize that might be the only time the entire week where you were taken deeper into the Word and you're listening and listening and listening and you're taking notes and you're imbibing and you're musing and you're going you're gonna to chew on that meal the entire week. And such saints grew and, and seemed to be far more literate in Scripture and far more eloquent in prayer and far more able to, to discern things. I mean, there's no getting away from that when you read the pages of history. And I'm I'm not saying that they were all uniformly knowledgeable about the things of the gospel, but they had a they had a knowledge of the word. Instead, instead, what do we do? What do we do with our time? Listen to garbage music. Watch garbage. Oh, we're going to stand before God accountable for how we stewarded our time. And there will be no generation with fewer excuses as to not having time to read the Word than ours. Oh, Nicodemus had to be rebuked. Art thou a master in Israel? And knowest not these things? Whereas Simeon and Anna, as they stood there on that transition stage, they were looking, they were looking, they were, they were constantly gleaning in the Word and pondering and looking for and anticipating. And, and then it came and they, they saw it. They knew exactly who it was. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Simeon and Anna. 
and the light that the Lord gave to them. It's an infant. An infant. They see him and his glory. They had spent so much time looking for him in the pages of the Old Testament. Looking for him in the sacrificial system. Constantly looking for him. And then when he was actually there, there he is. There he is. So those that knew to desire Christ, these prophets and kings with regenerate hearts that desired to see those things which the disciples now could see, yet they had not seen them. They hadn't come to a full understanding. The day of the Messiah's arrival did not come in their day, and so much still lived in the shadows for them. Secondly, those that experienced the depths of Christ, not only those that knew to desire Christ, but those that experienced the depths of Christ. This, of course, is the disciples. He turned him on to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. Oh, how blessed you are. So Christ encourages them, this smallish body of individuals, Standing there before him, their eyes and their ears were blessed because they lived in the very day that the prophets and the kings longed to live in and understand. Oh, what it was. You think of Isaiah. How Isaiah? Go back to Isaiah 53. And just think of this dear man writing, writing these words and trying to wrestle with how will that be fulfilled? What would that look like? Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And you can just see Isaiah trying, what? That day, Lord, that day, what will that look like when your servant, is, his visage is marred more than that of any man. And yet in this bleeding, battered state, he shall sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Oh, oh there's some that will begin to see what had been hidden from them. And Isaiah then laments, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Is there anyone that truly understands and sees. And then he reveals again, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And Isaiah is thinking, how can that be? I long to see him. I long for that day, all oh, to be in that day, to that privileged day when the Messiah comes. And there are going to be those that will see him and think there's no beauty in him. This one that is, shall be extolled and exalted and be very high. How can it be? Can you see the prophet pondering, musing, trying to reconcile all of this? And his heart going out after this, this revelation of Messiah. Being despised and rejected of men. How can it be? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Oh, okay. This, this is him. He's, he's writing this. The Spirit is revealing this to him. He is prophesying these things. But, but then he, he is moved of his heart to go back over. Desiring to look into, to consider, to understand. What more can be mined out of this? What more truth can be squeezed out of this? Oh, that day when Messiah will come. They long for it. Think of David pondering over Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And David's thinking, well, in the volume of the book it's not written of me. It's not writing of me. Who's it writing of? It's writing of Messiah. It's writing, it's speaking of the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman, what does it say about him? It says that he delights to do thy will, O my God. The law is within his heart. And he's musing on this. Yes, yes, the blessed seed of the woman. The law is in his heart. He delights to do it. And therein is my righteousness. Or you can imagine him in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord. Oh, just trying to get his head around that. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Father speaking to the Son, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Ah, yes. Ah, what a day that will be. Oh, and these prophets, these kings, they, they desire to look into these things, but, but they, they, didn't, they didn't get to see it in all its glory. And the disciples, on the other hand, did. They did. They were living through it. And so blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. Oh, how privileged you are. How privileged you are to see the things that you see. All oh, these mighty men. All oh, these women led of the Spirit longing for this day and yet so much still hidden from them it's put before you. And you see it. You're seeing it all come to pass. Yes, even some of them were given special privileges. Peter and James and John, 2 Peter 1.16, when Peter writes, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw something of the coming glory as we were with Him in the mount. So kings, kings and prophets desired to see these things and they, they are kept from it. But, but, fishermen and tax collectors have it revealed to them. Isn't this amazing? Imagine that then that these things were only revealed then to present day kings and prophets. And this, this is exclusive then. It's, it's kept away from the common people. And only these mighty individuals who walk in the very presence of God and have special revelation given to them that these, these, lofty, these lofty people, maybe they, would, maybe they would hide it from the common people. Maybe they would have no desire to reveal it to those common people. But instead, Christ comes and He begins with them. 
He begins with them. He comes right down to the most ordinary, yet even the despised in his day, and says, I'm going to show you the things that kings wanted to see. (laughs) Ah, what a marvel. What a marvel. Jesus loves to be with the lowly. He does. You see, because the fathers revealed these things unto babes, those that have it revealed unto them, they're always, always married in that revelation of God to their hearts. Always married is a humility. And far too many of the kings in Jesus' day, like Herod and others, ah, they may have desired. They may have desired. In fact, they did. They did desire. Go for a minute to Luke chapter 23. Learn about a king. Jesus has been taken to Pilate. Pilate, learning that he's a Galilean, thinks to himself, well, he's then of Herod's jurisdiction and Since Herod's nearby, I might as well send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with him. So verse 8 of Luke 23, When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season. Oh, maybe he's like one of those kings. He desires to see those things. Because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. But Christ can see his wicked heart. And Christ knows, having sent him a prophet to his very doorstep, a man who preached faithfully to him, John the Baptist, I've said before, he silenced God's voice in his life. And so Jesus then deals with him in this fashion. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Jesus says, I have nothing to say to you, Herod. Because I spoke to you through my servant John, and you took off his head. I have nothing more to say. Oh, he desired, he desired to look into, he desired to know, but it was all carnal. It's carnal. Carnal curiosity. Just like it would be today if. The Son of God arrived and performed miracles. Thousands would gather. And it would all be carnal. Or at least the vast majority of it. Carnal. This is what I don't understand about people's deep longing. Oh, if only there were miracles. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, are you reading the same Bible that I'm reading? The, the miracles, the miracles... They are just added judgment to people. And we're going to get to Luke chapter 16 where, where, again, you see the logic of the rich man 
being in hell. And he says, he is concerned about his five brothers that they come to this place of torment. And the longing of his heart is that, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to tell my five brothers, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham then was recorded that, no, it cannot be done. And he appeals. They will believe. They will believe if they see one risen from the dead. The answer is so simple. If they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. The same faith it takes to believe the Word is the same faith it takes to actually understand the miracles. And these, these privileged disciples, how privileged they were. They were just ordinary people, just like us. Most of us here, I think we would consider ourselves ordinary. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. Oh, what they saw. They saw Jesus give sight to the blind. Oh, yes, they saw it. There's blind Bar- Bartimaeus. And they saw him, just how he responded to his cry. Jesus, thou son of David! Have mercy on me. And how the Lord came and condescended and gave sight and how he caused the lame to walk and he came and he touched the leper and made them clean. And how the dead were raised to life. They saw these things and marveled. Ah, they saw him pray. They heard him pray. What a privilege that was. Oh, oh yes. Can you imagine hearing, hearing the Son of God pray in His most intimate hours, praying to the Father. Hearing those long prayers, those extended seasons of prayers on the mountaintop through the night as He interceded, as He cried out for more sustaining power of the Spirit as he longed for the guidance of God the Father in his life, keeping him on track, as he looked for that fresh word and help for the day that would lie ahead of him and all the other burdens that lay before him. And how they heard him speak. (laughs) They They stood in the presence of one and everyone could see it. Never man spake like this man. So, so they saw it. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. What a blessing it was. And they saw hundreds of prophecies fulfilled before their very eyes. And especially if you read Matthew's gospel, read Matthew's gospel and see him. See him almost all the time. He is trying to tie every event into a prophecy. Because he began to see it. Yes. Here is the one spoken of. Finally, those that hear the declaration of Christ. There are those that knew to desire Christ, those that experience the depths of Christ, and those that hear the declaration of Christ. And that is us, beloved. Here we are. 
We are not like the kings and the prophets that desire to see those things. Nor are we like the disciples that lived in the day where their eyes, their literal eyes, saw the literal Messiah before them doing the things that He did. But that does not mean to see that, say that we are, we are without a particular blessing. We have this. We have this. We have men like Luke who, who sought to give a faithful account of all that the Lord Jesus Christ did. We have this revelation of the New Testament, this apostle's doctrine, as it were, given to us to understand these things, to, to, to see, not in the same fashion, but still to see, to see something of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, we can see how the New Testament sheds light on the Old Testament and how the Old Testament fills in details in the New Testament. We can see the admonition that's given to us in the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, all these things happen unto them, for examples, and they are written for our admonition. So we, we read and we're admonished by the examples given to us by that which is revealed unto us. But here's the thing. It still requires the faculty of sight and hearing to truly understand this person, Jesus Christ. There's still a revelation that is given. We sang of it, didn't we? Behold the Lamb of God. You have to see Him. This was the declaration of John. He called the multitudes, Behold the Lamb of God. But the language still applies. The language of the prophet still applies. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. There's the call to look and to live. The call to see that in Jesus Christ is the Redeemer of sinners. To behold the One amidst your depravity and your sin and the damnation you deserve and the hell that awaits. Amidst all of that, there is someone who will rescue you in a moment of time. So there you are, lamenting in your sin, wallowing in your sin, recognizing you can't see yourself, save yourself. And where do you look? Where do you look? You look to Christ. You behold the Lamb of God. You look to Him and you live. And what a wonderful thing it is when it's not a matter again of, of believing in the prayer you pray, in the repentance you offer. You're not believing in that. You're believing in Christ. Christ is the object of your faith. Christ is the one that saves. It's not your faith that saves. It's not your repentance that saves. It's Christ that saves. And so tonight you look to Him. You look to Him. You believe, yes, yes, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I need my sins washed away. I need it all removed. Young people, you need it. Older people, just the same. You need your sins dealt with. And what a wonderful thing. Maybe even tonight the Spirit would be moving in your heart, removing the scales, taking away the unbelief. And within your heart there's a sense of call. Yes, preacher, I believe. Jesus is able to save me. He's the only one that can save. And you look, and you just rest right there. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. 
Yes, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Your, your ears also. These kings and prophets wanted to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them, but here's, here's where you definitely are. Very much in line with the disciples and the favor they enjoy because given unto you is the Word of God that you hear. And you pick up this book and you realize, I hear from God. I'm hearing from God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so you read it and you hear it preached and there is this sense that, yes, God is speaking. God is speaking. And my ears can hear it. I can hear the call, the call to trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, do not be like those Christ had to call out in John chapter 8. When in verse 43 he said, Why do you not understand my speech? Good question, isn't it? Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You can't hear it. If you're here tonight and you cannot hear the word of repentance, the call to repent, and believe the gospel. You plead with God for new ears. You plead with God for a new heart. For he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. What frightening. What frightening words. So Christ says to you, Call to me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you call? Let's bow together in prayer. you have concern of soul tonight, if you're bothered about where you stand before God, uneasy, challenged by what has been said And if you need counsel and help, I'm here as a servant of Christ to help you, but 
You can call upon the Lord where you are. You can confess your sins right where you're seated. You can repent this very night and lay hold on Christ, the one who is willing to save you. Young person, don't, don't play games with the Lord as He speaks to your heart. There is a time we know not when, a place we know not where, that seals the destiny of man for glory or despair. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray, give sight to the blind. Have mercy on those here tonight that are still dead in trespasses and in sins. We thank you, Lord, for being with us today in this place. The blessing of thy word and being with your people and pondering, musing in the Scriptures of all those things that relate to your Son. Help us, Lord, to take these truths with us this week. Be with all your people then. Make them shine very brightly this week. May they have much hope in God much faith in their Redeemer. Bless those that go downstairs. Thank you for the food that's laid before us and that will be to our nourishment. Be also in our conversation. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen.